Blog Talk Radio. House Mysteries on the BookSpeak Network. I'm co-host Sherry Knowlton. I write the Alexa Williams series of suspense books, Dead of Autumn, Dead of Summer, Dead of Spring, and Dead of Winter. Hi, and I'm Jan West. I write the Carlisle Crime Case series, Dying for Vengeance, Courting Doubt and Darkness, Darkness at First Light, and Had a Dying Fall, featuring Carlisle Homicide Detectives Christopher Snow and Aaron McCoy. Uh, Both of our books are published by the Sunbury Press imprint, Milford House. Uh, And as our regular listeners know, we often feature fellow authors on this podcast. Um, But today, we're keeping our interview closer to home. Uh, Jody has a new book out called Things Strangled. So I'm going to interview her today about this latest novel in the Carlisle Crime Cases series. Thanks, and I'm happy to be a guest for a change. (laughs) You still have to do a lot of talking, maybe even more. Uh, But let's start with a little background on Jody, uh, who writes uh, mysteries as J.M. West. Things Strangled is the latest in the Carlisle Crime Cases series, which, as uh, Jody said earlier, features homicide detectives Christopher Snow and Aaron McCoy. Jody, though, is a professor emerita of English studies at Harrisburg Area Community College, the Gettysburg campus. She also taught at Messiah College and Shippensburg University as an adjunct and served as assistant Director of the Learning Center at Shippensburg University. All of these are in Pennsylvania for our out-of-state listeners. Dying for Vengeance, Courting Doubt, and Darkness, Darkness at First Light, Had a Dying Fall, and Things Strangled complete the series. She has previously also published poetry, and her debut novel, Glory in the Flower, Uh, in which four co-eds bond during the turbulent 60s. Jody and her husband live in Carlisle, Pennsylvania. They have two sons and two grandsons. In her spare time, she volunteers at the Bookery, which is Bosler Memorial Library's used bookstore, participates in a book club and a writing group, and Jody also reads voraciously. Did I miss anything? Well, you hit the highlights anyway. Um, when I have time, I also edit and review books. Uh, so I'm heavily engaged with books, as you can tell. Um, I spend oh, yeah, most of my right. time I around books. That you yeah. Edit. Mm-hmm. yeah. Books, 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 yeah. books, books. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I love them. I mean, they're, they're good friends, excellent therapy, educational and recreational. So. Yeah, yeah. You, you don't have to sell me. I've been a... Book fan since I think the minute I could read a word. Well, probably Mm -hmm. even before that. Uh, 
uh, when my parents read to me when I was just a little tiny thing. Well, let's start our official interview here with some information about your new book. Uh, Can you tell us a little bit about Things Strangled? No spoilers, of course. Okay. The setup is basically that the Carlisle homicide detectives, but specifically Erin McCoy and her canine officer, Shadow, they're in a training group, and um, they're sent to uh, search for a missing actor who's with uh, New York's troop uh, who who went to uh, Lancaster to film a documentary on uh, Frank W. Woolworth. Um, after they finished in Lancaster, they came to Carlisle to avoid the tourists uh, to film the rest of the documentary here. Um, they eventually find the missing actor, and then the mystery springs from that incident. Okay. Um the and and um one of the things that you mentioned is the uh, Frank Woolworth um I think that in that's a, a unique backdrop that you chose for the book which is a, a contemporary book it's set in the present day um mm-hmm. but um Woolworth uh, the little bit I knew about him before this book was that he was a pioneer in the concept of the old five and ten cent stores or the five and dimes uh, with his Woolworth change, chain, I'm sorry. Um, and I'm just curious, um, you, you've said it, uh, the production company and the documentary, it's almost like a story within a story. So could you talk a little bit about why you chose Woolworth? Um, to write about for the documentary and, you know, to, to weave that through the book uh, and tell a little bit more because I've just given the very basics of Woolworth. I, I have to admit that I shopped there when I was a kid. Um, they were one of the places that had the lunch counters and all of that. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, I shopped at the one here in uh, Carlisle, Pennsylvania, uh, right up until the stores closed in the early 1990s. But I really didn't know anything about their founder, Frank Woolworth, until I read your book, Jody. Well, the main reason I chose him for the subplot um, was because he had his very first successful store in Pennsylvania. Lancaster was his first successful store. The one in Utica, New York, failed. Um, that's the first reason. The second reason is I worked at Woolworths in Cincinnati all through high school and college, and I first started at the candy counter. So that segment in the book is based on my own experience, and it was a very enjoyable experience because, you know, to sell candy, everybody's happy, you know, to come in and, you know, buy a pound of fudge or the kids would come in and buy the penny candy, you know, the circus peanuts and the Coke bottles and it was just a really enjoyable job. So I was familiar with um, Woolworth, you know, on that account. Um, mm-hmm. But in a third, third reason, I think the story, his story particularly, should be celebrated. But he's, because he's the epitome of the rags to riches story, he lived the American dream by building an empire one story at a time. And all because mainly when he and his younger brother Sumner went to a department store, a big department store in New York, 
to buy his mother um, a birthday present. The, uh, he they laid their little dot, nickel and dimes and pennies up on the counter, and the uh, department store clerk snubbed him. You know, both of them Uh-oh. because you know because they were using change. Uh, so and he also wasn't suited for farming. And that his parents had a farm in New York, and so his dream was that what he really wanted to do was to set out to set up stores where all Americans, you know, American commoners, the hardworking, the blue collar people, you know, could afford to buy affordable goods. That's interesting. Um, and then there were, as I recall. Um, back in the day, um, not in necessarily Frank Woolworth's day. I'm not that old, but, but um, <laughs> you know, when uh, in, in the, when I was a kid, there were several different five and dimes who sort of followed mm-hmm. his model. I'm not sure any were quite as successful as Woolworth, though. So well, I remember Kresge. That was another one. Oh yeah, that's right. And yeah. Chambersbury, there was one called Newberries too. But um, mm-hmm. you know, I'm sure there were some local right. ones. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh my! To think that you used to be able to buy something meaningful with a dime. That's <laughs> um, funny. Now it's funny, isn't it? <laughs> oh my! Yeah, yeah, it's sort of sad. But anyway, um, moving on. Uh, I, the, your title. Uh, of the book, I know that you've looked to quotes from literature for all your crime, Carlisle crime cases books. Um, this being number five, and I think if I'm not wrong, you've mostly uh, gone to Shakespeare for your previous book mm-hmm. titles. Um, yes. But this one, Things Strangled, um, tell us about that one because that's not a reference that I was familiar with. Uh, the title of Things Strangle, it comes from uh, the Bible, um, from Acts, in the New Testament specifically, it was Acts 15:20, um, And Paul's writing his epistles, his letters to the Gentiles, where the, the disciples are trying to convert to Christianity in Syria and other places in the Mideast. And he told them to abstain from pollution of idols, from fornication, from things strangled, and from blood. And so the story rests on that premise that, uh, without you know, without spoiling what happens in the book, but and readers learn though that that verse can be interpreted in various ways by different characters in the book, and so that's like the jumping-off point for for the book. That thing strangled is something that these people need to figure out. Okay. Um, and uh, did is this something I'm just curious a, a quote that you were familiar with or uh, already and had always sort of wanted to work it into something or is it more that you looked for something that would fit the premise you were trying to create in the book and um, searched this out because it seemed relevant yes the latter primarily, although I was familiar, I was I'm familiar with pretty familiar with the New Testament, and so I knew that there were some um, issues because, of course, you know they were 
they were the, the Jewish people, the chosen people. And when they went to try to convert people to Christianity, that was a new religion. And so the, right. they, when they were meeting and decided, all the disciples were trying to decide uh, what should people be required to follow the Jewish, you know, rules of, mm-hmm. and they decided no, no, that primarily what they need to do was stay away from fornic- fornication, things strangled, and from blood and pollution of idols. So that I, I was familiar with that from, um, from my past, the, but mm-hmm. I did. It had a bearing on the way the murders, uh, ha- the murder I should say happened or occurred, and so it just kind of clicked. You, you know. Yeah, well, it's it an intriguing title too. So mm-hmm. you know. Oh, thanks. Yeah. But so it's so different from the other ones. All the other ones yeah. are like are like courting doubt and darkness. Start, you know, they're they're a little bit more. This is just two words, but. Um. Anyway, I was well. I pat you know. I ran it by the publisher, and he 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 didn't suggest any changes. So it, it fits the story pretty well. So I was happy with. Yes, it it it, it does it does. Um, and it's you know it's got sort of a definitely when you're talking about strangled, there's a and it's the Carlisle crime cases. <laughs> it makes you yeah. think that um, something bad happened here. Yes, and speaking of the Carlisle Crime Cases series, um, you know, why don't you uh, talk um, and tell us a little bit uh, about, you know, the, your whole uh, concept for these novels, you know, maybe how how the idea came about and, and how you've sort of played it through um, the five books. And, um, you know, why did you choose uh, police procedurals? Because uh, certainly your uh, academic career wouldn't necessarily suggest that police procedurals would be right down your alley. But apparently they are because you're you're doing really well with these books. (laughs) Thanks. Um, Yeah, my background is mainly in the classics. Um, But when I retired... I started writing um, a, a series of books about, well, one, Glory in the Flower is a coming-of-age novel. I had intended to write one about each roommate, so that would have been four. Um, but somehow I just started writing these. It just came to the fore of my mind of writing the, the very first one, uh, Dying for Vengeance, and it was about an inheritance dispute that I heard that was in litigation for like six years, and I was wondering, well, my goodness, what what happened that would occur in a family that would take six years to litigate an inheritance? But so, and I, funny thing though, at first I didn't know I was writing police procedurals, and then I knew um, actually several policemen, and I asked one, one one was a state trooper, and one was a Carlisle. Um, uh-huh. I, asked, I asked them to look at it and I just called them murder mysteries and then the one the Carlisle policeman said you're writing police procedurals you, this is a cop <laughs> and this is a, I said oh that makes sense you know um, so uh, he read it for accuracy and the only thing he did was I mean he told me my genre basically because I didn't know at the time uh-huh. um, you just wrote what you wanted to write about right yeah uh-huh. and then 
it grew out of the series actually grew out of um the my interest in wanting to write from a woman's point of view because it's you know mm-hmm. the homicide the squads are basically men uh at least that you know in the areas that I'm familiar with um but I wanted to also write from the point of view of a rookie uh you know someone who makes mistakes and stumbles along the way and she has the best motives and intentions, but she often acts impulsively. And she served several years as a beat cop before. Um, and that's what I was familiar with, too, with the, the friend who's my consultant, who has uh-huh. asked for me an anonymous, was a beat cop. Was a beat cop. But the, the different, that's, that's different. You know, the beat cop is very different from learning and the training that is involved in becoming a detective. And so I wanted to work through that process and learn and grow, and I wanted her to grow in the role, too, with me. Um, and so that became the core focus, that each book is based on a, and they're fact-based fiction, meaning the crime at the core of the book happened. But I changed the circumstances and also the uh, subplots are my own, and all the characters are my own, even though it's based on the Carlisle Homicide Squad. But, for example, they don't have a CSU unit, a crime scene, you know, but they're too small. Uh-huh. But my Carlisle police do have a crime scene unit. So I've taken liberties, you know, because I'm a fiction writer. Um, well, so yeah, that's, that's how why they call it fiction, right? Yeah. Exactly, yeah. And then but you do work in a lot of, um, at least to, to my eye, who, um, although I write suspense, I, I don't write um, police procedurals any, or anything remotely like it. Um, and mm-hmm. But when I read your books, it, it always seems to me like, well, this is probably how police do talk and what they're, you know, the, the procedures that they would walk through for an investigation and so forth. Oh yes, but since it's you know based on an actual crime, I try to keep it as realistic as possible. Um, so it's you know for the readers primarily that this would be how you know an actual uh, police department would approach it. It's not like on TV, you know, where everything's solved in an hour. It takes uh, days, yeah. sometimes months. You know, sometimes the the murder case is not solved. And not and not all of the uh, elements are tied neatly together at the end, and so my books reflect that. Yes, well, that makes sense. And um, you also uh, have your heroine um, is now a handler of one of the canine uh, members of the the police force too. Shadow, right? That's his name, Shadow. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, well, why'd you decide to sort of add that into the mix? Well, I originally I had not intended to have a canine unit at all. Um, but I had read, I think it was probably in a newspaper article, um, the training, because there's a training uh, center in South Milton Township, and there was an extensive article on the um, the canine uh, officers, the dogs who are trained to, you know, assist in uh, finding cadavers and finding people and missing persons. And I was so fascinated by their, um, you know, what the dogs are capable of doing. 
and also about the, their extensive training. They're required to do like 16 to 20 hours of training each month. And it was I was just so um, interested in that that I incorporated that into the novel. Um, and it just kind of uh, grew out of the shadow, uh, grew out of that um, that that news, particular newspaper article. But the little quirks that the dog has is actually based on my own dog. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, that's right how that happened. <laughs> yes, <laughs> that's great. <laughs> Um, I th- I believe if, if I I believe I read this somewhere that you intend Things Strangled to be the last Carlisle crime case book, um, but without giving away the end, um, I certainly thought you left a door open for future cases from Christopher Snow and Aaron McCoy. Can you clarify what you're thinking is yeah. there? Yeah, well, a writer always leaves doors open. Um, so I, I, you know, I, I probably will return to the Carlisle crimes cases because I really enjoy writing them. Um, uh, after I, I find a subject and do about four months of research, then I, um, I find that I really. But what I'm trying to do is, tr- um, tr- you know, I'm trying. I'm going to try another genre. I'm going to try nonfiction and see how. I have a background in journalism too. And for a while, I was a freelance reporter for the Sentinel. Um, so I think that I can manage a nonfiction book. And that's uh-huh. what I will try next. That's what I will try okay. next. Okay. So. so perhaps uh, Carlisle Crime Cases isn't necessarily ending. It's just uh, on a going to be on a break while you pursue something else. Yeah, on a hiatus, <laughs> Yeah. Uh, okay. Well, that makes sense. Um, I guess uh, you know you opened the door a little bit when you talked about your research uh, and you know the way that you approach uh, at least your fiction books. Um, can you tell uh, us a little bit about uh, you know how you approach writing a novel? Um, are you one of these writers who plots uh, in detail before you write? Um, you know, I, you've already mentioned uh, in passing that you you do research, uh, so you know it's, it seems like it's important to you that you you know are factual where it counts. Uh, can you just uh, tell our listeners a little bit about how you approach writing a novel? Well, that's an interesting question. Um, as far as um, my routine, I try when I am writing, I try to uh, write two to three thousand words a day. Sometimes I can go longer. Sometimes it goes five hours, but um, on other or like if I'm in the zone and the characters are um, really working together, then um, I can keep writing as long as my husband or the dog doesn't interrupt me. Um, but I actually I started um, with the core crime, and that from and I get those ideas from police blogs, newspaper reports. You know, you know crime is splashed across the page. You know of, of the headlines, and 
uh, now online too. And I've heard people say, well, they'll come up to me at book signings and say, oh, I thought Carlisle was a nice, you know, quaint historical community, all tight knit. And I said, well, we are, but that doesn't mean we don't have crime. Um, uh-huh. So, so I set the the crime is what sets the stage, and then from there the police appear on the scene, and then I tend to just let them go. I go with the flow. I let my detectives do their thing. You know, there is a you know a certain procedure that they follow, and and they manage very well without me, uh, or at least <laughs> with me in the background. But I once uh-huh. I did. My sister suggested I try to do outlines. So I once, for the very first book, Dying for Vengeance, I did 10 one-paragraph chapter summaries, you know, for the first 10 uh-huh. chapters. But when I remembered to check back, uh, at, check the outline, I was on chapter 13, I think, and my characters had veered far beyond what I had outlined. For example, as I had mentioned before, I had no idea that Detective McCoy would wind up with a canine officer, but she did. Um so that's you know that would be an example of you know, so I'm I'm in the dark too with uh, with the readers as I it wouldn't be very much fun for me to like plot the whole thing out because I uh-huh. want to discover and, and in the beginning everybody's a suspect you know I sort of follow Agatha Christie that way you know everybody's a suspect um, uh-huh. until until the developments and it turns out uh, you know otherwise. Um, so that's basically how I approach writing. Um, the and it, it's very different. The mysteries are very different from the from my first book, Glory in a Flower, which was pretty linear, you know, chron- uh-huh. chronological order. And that's that's different. And and I'm going to try to do my nonfiction uh, in in that chronological linear way. But in, with the mysteries, it's sort of back and forth with following the clues. Yeah, I would think that nonfiction is, uh, I mean, uh, you know, the research part of it, uh, I think, you know, being nonfiction, perhaps there's a little bit more to be done because you're basing it on on, uh, real people or real uh, events. But, you know, you have a lot of familiarity with that. But the sort of let the story flow um, might not work quite as well with nonfiction. So it's interesting. You're going to mm-hmm. have to maybe adjust your uh, approach as you tackle a new genre. Yeah, exactly. I'm going to have to approach it more as a journalist. Yeah, so that should be interesting. It should be fun. should be different. Exactly. Well, um, one of the things that I think you need to tell our listeners is how can they get things strangled in your other books, um, and uh, are there any public events uh, coming up to to launch this book or anything else you want to tell folks about? All right. Okay. I try to po- – I'll answer the second one first. Um, for, I'll try to keep – posting information on my book signings and other venues on my Facebook page and then also Sunbury Press. Uh, But I have a launch coming up on September 28th, uh, which is a Saturday, at the Bookery, uh, Harvest of the Arts. um, I'll probably be there most of the day. 
Um, I also have planned, um, I will be attending again, uh, Carlisle Barracks Oktoberfest, which is uh, October 5th and 6th. And there are Chris Kendall's Market, too, which is the first weekend in uh, December. And then I have a book fair in Chambersburg that I will be returning to. And I'll be working the Carlisle Expo on on, uh, November the 29th. And uh, History on High, uh, I expect to to be there on some small business weekend, which is uh, November the 30th. And I am uh, planning to also appear uh, again on um, on Good Day PA to, you know, promote the book. Um, Now, Uh, where can we get the books? Uh, Before you do that, all these places that you mentioned, except for the Chambersburg Book Festival, are um, in Carlisle, Pennsylvania, correct? Right, correct. Right. Okay, because right. you didn't mention yeah. um, it, that they're in Carlisle. So, um, for but people can find this um, on your website too. Yes, and also um, I have, I need to venture beyond. I realize that, but I haven't been able to do that uh, for a couple of reasons, uh, health reasons. Uh, but um, Sunbury Press, well, the publisher. Um, you can go on their website and buy both, all our books. Uh, Amazon carries them. Kindle has them. Uh, the Bookery and Bossler Library has them. And the Village Artisans and Gallery and Studio Employing Springs sells them. And well, you can go really to any bookstore, you know, and ask the mode um, bookseller to um, to order it. Um, but most of the people I know either go to the Bookery at the local. Or Amazon, especially if you know people who are out of town or um, or other places besides the Carlisle area. Okay. Well, at this point, I think we've just about run out of time. Um, best of luck on things strangled and your future writing project, this, this new nonfiction uh, venture that you're taking on. Uh, and thanks for letting me turn the tables and interview you today. It's, it's it's been fun. Well, and thanks for interviewing me. It, it's been fun too. You know, so um, and a reminder to all you readers. Thank you for all, listen, listen to me, all you readers. Thank you, listeners, for uh, tuning in and listening to Milford House Mysteries. We hope you all enjoyed our program as usual. And we'll be back in October, on October the 3rd specifically, with a new podcast with me back in the co-host seat. In the meantime, you can listen to some of our previous podcasts that you may have missed. Just search Milford House Mysteries on the BookSpeak Network. Um, Also, please follow us on social media. I'm on the web at www.sherrynolton.com, plus Facebook and Twitter. And yes, I'd like to second that because like every like third uh, program we do, we focus on some aspect of writing for writers, for aspiring writers. And I'm on facebook.com forward slash Carlisle Crime Cases by J.M. West. And my website is www.carlislecrimecases.com. So thanks again, everybody. And until next time. Okay, thanks for tuning in, folks.